0: This is the left side, this is the right side. Welcome to Pretty Good Vibrations, a show that analyzes and celebrates late 90s emo and its crucial role throughout some of our lives, my life anyway. My name's Dan Koch. I've been a professional musician for most of the last 20 years, first as the songwriter in the emo pop band Sherwood, and then as a commercial composer. Today, we are continuing... Our Trek Through Clarity, the seminal album by Jimmy Eat World. I'm joined by Clay Hunt again for part two of this conversation. If you've gotten to part two, please do me a favor send part one to two or three friends that you know love Jimmy Eat World. Also, I did just release my year-end mix for 2022. I do this every year. If you follow the Spotify link, which is in the show notes, you can find previous years, as well as a bunch of other Pretty Good Vibrations playlists. So go check that out if you want. Uh, you might be surprised. There are a lot of songs that you would have thought I would have known by 2022, but I didn't know them until last year. I am not as cool as I might try and make myself sound hosting a music podcast anyway let's get back into it with clay
1: excited to to get all the way to the the end of this which is yeah just the best love it
0: but like jimmy world we're not in any rush to get to the end here uh we're not and so i want to ask a couple more questions about the band and the record sort of in general before we dive back into the track listing. So when did you first hear Clarity? Was it in Tim's car after Built to Spill, or had you already heard it?
1: No, that was the first time I had heard it was yeah. was then. You know, this was very early file sharing days and also like pre, obviously, any sort of MySpace or anything like that. I don't think yeah. there was, I think GeoCity was kind of it. <laughs> you yeah, know, pre-mp3.com,
0: as... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I got into Jimmy on Static Prevails because I was walking through Nordstrom with my mom and the video (laughs) like they were playing music with like a these little TVs loud enough, I guess, that I could sort of make out the song. And it was the video for Rockstar with Tom singing. Yeah. Probably must have been eighth grade. And I got that record. So then when Clarity came out, sometime shortly after it came out, I I got it because I was aware of the band, but I was also really in a punk rock phase in February of 1999. Like I was thoroughly drenched in no effects and no use for a name and strung out and Craig's brother and MXPX and all that stuff. Oh yeah. And what happened for me is that as high school went along you know, if freshman year was all punk, senior year was like 30 or 40% punk and the rest emo. You know, that's kind of where I had gotten to.
1: Totally. I also similarly had, this was kind of like a, a little bit of a transition. I was like super into like Limp Biscuit and Blindside. side. Mm-hmm. still remain into Blindside. I, I was all over the place, but was kind of into the, the rap rock thing for a little while. But then... Really heavy, like blindside, uh, Foo Fighters, <laughs> you know, Jimmy kind of came in in that moment as well. But then, yeah, Get Up Kids, Further Seems Forever, Dashboard, all of that stuff that just started to like really hit and resonate.
0: You said earlier that Jimmy was your favorite band, and the Beach Boys are my favorite band. That's they sort of are unquestioned. But I think Jimmy World's number two. Like, I think they're that yep. central to me they are the band that Sherwood most aspired to looked up to the most kind of tried to sound like it was like the association we most wanted to have was like, Oh, they're like Jimmy world. I don't think we uh, got anywhere close to succeeding at that. And maybe we would have been better off (laughs) not trying to emulate them so much, but credit to Jimmy world for being so good that they ended up as like our creative North star, you know, for our whole career essentially. And I even like you know a lot of the stuff since the big the big three records you know up through futures, some of their new singles maybe maybe at the end I can play um, something loud which is one of their their second to last single that they released like last year or so and it's
1: awesome it's so good
0: it's a great song yeah uh, so I'm excited they're still they're still writing good music and um, oh I love them so much okay well let's talk about. Let's talk yeah. some more about the record. Track six. This one's called Crush.
1: think of clarity as a record i think of it in three parts and it's kind of tracks one through five tracks six through ten and then eleven twelve thirteen
0: huh i like that yeah
1: and and like i feel like crush does this incredible job of like a sunday is like this kind of like peak emo feeling everything can apply to all of these kind of whatever moments or whatever and then yeah You know, crush just with that massive hit at the beginning. Like, it kind of sucks you out of that moment. It puts you right back into the present, and then it just kind of launches you into this next part of the record. And this is again one of those ones that's really cool to listen to, where they do such an incredible job of, well, the palm mute, the elite palm mute that we were talked about. But like, yep, exactly, the best. They know how to hold the tension and then release it, and it just again it, it, when you're thinking about this as a total record it, it really it it kicks off this next part it takes you forward it, it moves you into another kind of statement you know is kind of part of the journey
0: it's one of the first songs they wrote for the record because they actually recorded a, a previous version of it called Secret Crush that was on one of these like band splits it might have been the one with mm. um, sense field and mineral or something like that. And it really sounds like it, right? It also would fit on Stag Prevails for sure. Yeah. Um, it would it would be one of the best songs on Stag Prevails, basically. Totally. I, I found a couple of funny little things. Like drummer Zach Lynn said he assumed that Jim wrote this when he was living in Flagstaff, Arizona, because they don't get snow in Mesa. <laughs> yeah. Down in the south. So that would
1: make a lot of sense.
0: And what I was thinking when I was listening back to it this time, now as I approach 40. I think I can forget how important it would have been to me at 16 or whatever to have enough upbeat rock songs on this album that it could keep my attention. Yep. For sure. Like I think if if the, if all if the whole band was Table for Glasses for me this is heaven 122395 like if that was the band I probably would have got into them, you know, they would have been like getting into like a true emo band or something. But the fact that they could blend all that with just very capable guitar rock, I think is what opened up the doors for me at that developmental stage.
1: That makes a a ton of sense. And and something that I think would probably be kind of overlooked or, or you, when you think about the bands that also kind of came right out of this as well. And you look at music that was then kind of through like the odds, like you can hear some people trying to do this, trying to go back here and trying to, yeah, have the, the real big emotional sentimental moments, but it had to be punctuated by rock and attention. And, but also because that was all stuff that you could do and it was okay. Like you didn't just have to be pop. You didn't just have to be like, Super heavy. You didn't have to just be punk and fast or whatever. Like it could be everything. It, it really set that stage. They nailed it here of the the perfect blend. You yeah. know, all of those things coming together. Track seven
0: 122395 twelve, twenty-three, ninety-five. Let's hear a clip.
1: a nice comeback down after crush being like so intense
0: oh that's interesting so you yeah you like it as a kind of palate cleanser i do i do in and- the extra four minutes you're supposed to walk on the treadmill when you're when your technical cardio is over
1: <laughs> totally
0: and you know what totally. not only do i not only do i skip those few minutes of of cool down on at the gym i also skip this track usually
1: Amazing, man. Well, I, you know, I, I think this is another one of those though, like when you're 16, 17, 18, and you're trying to figure out like emotions and, and especially like with a Merry Christmas baby and all that stuff, like yeah. who hasn't listened to this over Christmas break or, you know, you're home and you're just like waiting to get back to that high school crush or whatever it is, you know, like just, there's, there's a, there's all that, like that you can feel there. It's definitely one of the more. Yeah, you're right. There's more youth in this one than some of the other songs, but it's still like, it's just fun to listen to. It's also really interesting because I think it's one of, if it might be the only song on the record that is just drum machine, like where, you know, like it's not Zach playing.
0: I read through this fairly quickly, so I I might've got it wrong, but I think that this song was almost entirely like recorded in an apartment or his parents' house or something like that, like on like oh, a little yeah. drum, like oh, a, yeah. at least a lot of it. I'm probably not the vocals, but like that they yep. actually built it not in the studio. And it was this kind of home yeah. and, it, and, you know, it, and I think that that can work. It makes more sense to me as a song. If I think of it as like him kind of tinkering or, tinkering around with some electronics and guitar, you know, maybe over Christmas break staying yeah. at his folks house or something like that. Right. Like Totally. That kind of makes me like it more. I I wonder, I'm going to listen to it with that lens in the future and see if I get more into it. If I think of it as like uh bedroom pop, essentially proto bedroom pop.
1: There you go. It's a, it's a cool moment because it does also then like with some of the drum machine stuff that you've seen before, it becomes like this, like solidly in the middle of the record moment with the drum machine and you'll will obviously get more of that kind of later in but it's a really interesting time too because you know it was drum machines just this is like pre-postal service this is like
0: yeah that's right just before
1: you know in that era where there was like a real um resistance sometimes to drum machines or Mm -hmm. using things that were you know it was like no we are we are analog we are you know yeah. a ten foot cord into a amp. You know, like we are. Yeah, I think that's right. This, but you don't. You didn't have this experimentation nearly as much now. Where like it's just kind of ubiquitous, and drum machines yeah. are everywhere, and everywhere. They, they come yeah. on your computer. It's interesting to see them like really dive into using that piece of technology that also really like brings this kind of you know interesting like aesthetic, you know, to this song and the rest of the record.
0: Well, and it's definitely an early harbinger of what they would do on tracks like "Cautioners" on "Bleed American," right? These yeah. like constructed, yep. electronically constructed tracks from samples of things and and drum machines and all that stuff. I mean, on "Bleed American," they would do like they would sample Zach's drums or a guitar chug you know, a palm muted chug and then, then sample that, you know? So there it's, it's, you could also see this track as sort of like, it's a bridge to that approach that they would kind of perfect on the next record. Absolutely. With, with Mark, again, with Mark Trombino. So that'll be a fun uh, through line to, to measure between the two. All right. Well, for sure. I'm wondering if I can blame this track for, My decision to include the song Alley Cat on the second Sherwood album, which was also a rock record that had a (laughs) track seven. I think it might have been track seven. Maybe it wasn't eight. Uh, You know, electronic song on it that I sang instead of Nate. And it's just not it has not aged very well. So can I blame Jimmy Meat World for that? Probably not. It's probably on me. It probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Let's get into to, to track eight. So this for me is this the sort of three song bracket, you know, suite that I most mm. think of as like a separable thing that I could talk about itself. You know, I like how you've talked about the the breaks that you kind of hear throughout the record. For me, it's like just one big record and then, but there is this suite, at, you know, two thirds of the way through basically of 10, just watch the fireworks yeah. and then the apotheosis for me this is heaven which is my favorite track one of my favorite tracks of all time and my favorite track on the record so that's just kind of cool to think of the the way that we sort of group them in our own minds um but let's let's get into it here's here's 10 what I'm hearing right now is more of that eighth note. We're not taking, we're playing every beat of the pattern, but we're going to do a melodic and percussive pattern on that piano part.
1: Totally. I, it, and for me, the thing that I always hear is just that, that four tongue, oh, just yeah. that, that pattern. Dude. It just, it's huge. But the, the thing that's incredible about this too, and I think again, going back to Zach playing is he has this ability musically to just like lay this incredible foundation and everything can build off of it. And there's such consistency and musicality to it. Again, it's like, it's what he's not playing. It's that he leaves a space to where those eighth notes can happen on top of it. And it's still like, it's a, it's its own hook almost. Cause instantly you're just like, Oh yeah, this is really cool. And everything's happening on top of it. And, but it doesn't, even though it's like a very, distinct part. It doesn't take away from what's happening. It just further enhances it and allows you to engage with you know the melody, the guitar yeah. line, everything that's happening that's being stacked just in this incredible way. But it's even hookier because it's not just playing, you know, like two, four all the way through. It's really this like signature thing yep. that he's doing underneath it.
0: Two bands come to mind that whose drummers also fit that description in my mind. I want to see if you agree. Patrick Wilson from Weezer. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, right. He—it's definitely him. He's got a, a way of doing things, and it—it it does add that little extra kick of flavor. But he's so solid, and it's not frilly, right? And then the other is yeah. Ricky from Me Without You.
1: Oh man, what a incredible! Yeah, I mean, both of them for sure, and especially Patrick Wilson on the like the first, uh, the first two Weezer records. You know, yeah. you think of like. Buddy Holly, but even like Surf Wax America and um, The World Has Turned and Left Me Here. For me, like Tired of Sex is like one of my favorite drum parts of all time.
0: Well, I was just going to play something from Pinkerton uh, because I think we need to to hear this. But I was going to play the beginning of El Scorcho.
1: That was going to be the next one is El Scorcho is one of those for sure.
0: Ding that ride. But yeah, that's totally what you're talking about, right? Exactly. And just the
1: fact that they're not afraid. they Well, they're confident enough in what they're doing to just be like, this is what's going to be best for the song.
0: Yes, exactly. And they understanding exactly. the place
1: in there. And I think that that gets, especially like today, you, know, you see so many like Instagram and YouTube drummers that are incredible players that can play just – just rip off licks and play absolutely insane parts. Yeah. It's, it's 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 amazing to see and awesome to do, but it's hard to fit that inside of a song. Whereas like you look yeah. at kind of the approach then. It's
0: like, if you saw a painter, like a, a more modern type of painter and you're like, Oh, I love the color palette and like the texture of what they did here. Right. It's like, that is what these drummers are doing for a band. They're not the whole painting. Yeah. Like, there still has to be no. a songwriter who's kind of sketching the form, you know, all that. But that texture, the colors you're choosing from, those kinds of things, I think yeah. are analogous to what a drummer who is who's not fighting the song and is not the star of the show, but figures out their own distinctive character... And then you mm. get that patina on every song. Like like here's an example from Ricky from Me Without You of what I'm talking about. This is the Sun and the Moon from Brother Sister. Just You know, like those two parts of that song, that he's a little more florid, floral, flourish, more flourishes. Yeah. One of those is the right fla word, you know. Uh, but there's, but there's room for it because the guitars are just doing bang 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 and holding out and then leaving all this space. And the way he, you know, uses his left foot to to play tambourine you know, on so many Mm -hmm. of their tracks, like those kind of signatures and just kind of the way he rolls the snare with the fat ends of the sticks. Uh, Just ah, one of my favorite drummers. I could go on a too long of a Ricky tangent that we don't want to do here probably, but you get it.
1: I totally hear you. I mean, the the two drum, two drummers. I also add to this that like also, and they played on a lot of the same stuff and during the same time were Jeff Beccaro, you know, who was in Toto and then played on everything in the eighties. And then, And then John J.R. Robinson, who is the same type of thing, has played on everything, played on a ton of Michael Jackson, you know, but where you hear those guys playing and you know that it's them. They were not afraid to to get into, like, the real depth of what, you know, what the music was doing, but still, you know, it, it was signature, you can tell it's them, but they left all this space for people to just create and move in, which is, it's not easy to do the the tendency is to either go too simple or way too overplaying like it's it's a real skill to be able to jump in there and do that it's an it's an incredible thing
0: you know clay i've enjoyed this trip to drummer island here thank you
1: i mean i yeah you you see the world through your own two eyes you know so that's (laughs) that's...
0: it's fun it's fun to break and talk drums Let's take it back to the mainland. So uh, <laughs> absolutely. I do want to talk about the drumming on this song, the drum sound on this song. let me let me play another clip of what I'm talking about. You've got this big, roomy uh, drum loop, essentially. So you can hear it there. That really loops through most of the song, if not all of it. And yep. then there's a more traditionally mic'd drum kit that comes in at the bridge and then and stays for the final chorus. It's pretty experimental to leave it as just that boomy roomy kit for so much of the song. Now in 2022, mm-hmm. my kind of mixer producer brain kind of rejects it and and wants it to be less muddy, like wants the regular kit to come in sooner do you agree with me or am I being, am I on a a throne of lies?
1: I think it always just comes back to whatever's going to be best for the song, you know, and you so think like it works? in this time too, I, I think it totally works, man. Yeah. I really like going a little bit smaller, but it's still like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel wrong. It feels completely right. And that was the thing that's awesome here is that they didn't, obviously they had a lot of time to do the the overdubs and kind of work through it. I'm sure they had a lot of things that were kind of piecing together as they got out of down city into Clear Lake, but to not just be beholden to, well, we cut it this way, so this is what it has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it's really, it's just really interesting and has obviously stood the test of time.
0: Next up, track nine just watch the fireworks.
1: Mm. Here,
0: I've been here before. This is the part of the record that is most close to me, this suite here. And this is like the warm-up to, for me, this is heaven, but with its own unique charms, basically. When, this song yeah. is one of the rare ones where I have actual like parts of driving around Saratoga and San Jose, California. Like particular streets I picture when I hear this song. Most of the album's not like that, right? Because I just... I listened to it so many times, but I would often listen to it in my first car, a 94 Ford Explorer. I commuted to to school, so I went to private Christian school, like a 40, 50 minutes in the morning, 35 minutes home kind of a thing, commute. So I had a lot of time in the car, and then our church was about 15 minutes away where a lot of my friends lived. So I was just—this album got so much play, and that song in particular, I am just—I see myself— Driving around the bay,
1: I get that man. I feel like this is a type of song too that ended up being kind of like an emo roadmap song, like that people would want to do. Of like, you start out small, obviously, like it works up. You get the big, the big chorus, the big moment, then it drops back down, and then it comes out, and you the lead out with like the huge guitars. Like, I feel like everybody at this moment too, and after, was aspiring to try to do something like this <laughs> that wanted to create.
0: Oh gosh, the same Sherwood album. We tried to do it with the final song, where we incorporated like melodies from previous on previous parts of the album, and this extended like five and a half minute thing for a two and a half minute song. This is where we got the idea. Mm -hmm. Did we do it as well? We absolutely did not. And I don't listen to it. Like if that song comes up, I will skip it after the main part of the song is done, and I just I just skip that whole three minutes now. (laughs) Like it's not easy for that to work and it works here
1: no it really does and it's again it's just like they they weren't afraid to just keep things really simple especially like rhythmically and then let that rhythmic bass be able to build a lot of different sonic landscapes on top of it you know but then also to like flip it and then just go straight you know with some of those pieces towards the end of the song like and really rock out, really dive in, let the guitars just be open. And again, it's one of those songs that I feel like ends, ends up looking like a roadmap now, 23 years later, when you look at other records that came out after this, of like people just trying to do something similar to what this song is.
0: Yeah, this, this section that we're talking about that's that is deceptively simple, maybe, to get this stuff to actually land... Um, sort of musically, emotionally. Here, here's the, I'll, I'll play this section, this is what we're talking about, this kind of two minute outro.
1: Rock me to sleep, Jimmy. World, ugh. Just watch the fireworks, and it's like you, you, you get the fireworks at the end. Like it starts out like slow, and then it builds. They sound like (laughs)
0: fireworks. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Look at that. I never saw. I never put that together.
1: Again, where you used to look at this in like the the three, which I totally understand with ten into this, and then obviously for for me, this is heaven. That's just where I see this is like of in that first five, believe in what you want is the one that kind of pulls everything together. Mm-hmm. For me, it's also, this is the same thing where this is kind of this like encapsulation of everything that's happened in the previous three songs. They hit it there before you get this like a really like high point, emotional moment with, for me, this is heaven where it's the same of believe in what you want. Is that kind of coming together of the first three and then a Sunday, it's like this nice break before a Sunday. That's like this, you know, big emotional piece as well. So uh, that's the thing that's great about music is it's, it's such a personal, it's universal and personal at the same time.
0: I'm really coming to see that. My favorite part of the song is it's a second or third chorus when it gets really in the pocket. He's riding the low Tom You've got one palm guitar, you've got another simple picking guitar, you got this simple catchy melody, but then you've also got the strings in there sort of buffering the whole thing, and it is just chef's kiss.
1: It's also incredible when you think about this, the fact that the strings in there are usually I feel like when strings come in, like you think of like like right before that, or not too far before that would have been like tonight tonight from you know, Smashing Huggins, you know, Melancholy and Sadness, where it, like it's such a feature and it's such this like massive full string thing, your know, full kind of like compliment thing, whereas this is a it's a little bit smaller, but it it complements in this incredible way where it's not over the top. It fits. And with everything else that's already happening and it elevates it, it's pronounced, but it's also very subtle at the same time. You know, it's not 30 piece strings or, you know, yeah. full orchestration or whatever. It's not Metallica s right? It's not, yeah. yeah. It's, it, but it's still, it's a pretty bold move, especially when you think about like Emo at the time and the other bands that would have been in their same kind of purview. No one was really treating it you know, or or trying to go that direction. It was, this was a pretty bold move.
0: I never thought of it that way, but the use of sort of more traditional orchestration, not a thing. I mean, it comes out of hardcore, right? And, and so this is kind of like uh, a widening of the scope of what emo can be instrumentally, I guess we could say. Totally. Well, it brings us to the apotheosis, the ultimate, probably my favorite emo song ever recorded. For me this is heaven. It is also the most played Clarity track on Spotify. So it's not like I'm alone
1: in this. Oh, no. No, not at all.
0: But it's not your favorite. It can't be your favorite song on the record if Believe in What You Want is your favorite song of all time.
1: Yeah, it's not. And it's my second favorite. It's your second. Okay. I think it might be the best emo song ever. (laughs) You know, of like everybody always, I feel like, is trying to... When we were talking about 10 and... You know, that it's... It, well, and also, for me, this is... I mean, for just watch the fireworks, where people were trying to really, like, kind of hit, like, the like the big build and the play out. I mean, yeah. I feel like, for me, this is heaven. When you get, you know, to... Can you still feel the uh, butterflies? Yeah. The, that whole line, everything there. I feel like this is what everybody was trying to do, is trying to, like, capture this feeling, this moment, this thing. This is what emo was about, was trying to express all of these things it just yeah it's i want to hear more about what you're what you're thinking because i i see your face right now and you're you know, we're, we're thinking a lot of the same things oh it's yeah
0: just, well so okay i have a lot of thoughts about this song first of all what's cool about it one thing that's cool is that the power of it does not actually need all of the extra extra sort of studio trickery and all these layers and stuff because they did this during during lockdown they did the whatever sessions they're called the Phoenix sessions or something yeah and they played Clarity straight through and they have like you know one keyboardist or something playing with them here but listen to this listen to how much of the power of that verse section is retained even live it's time in your courage when it's time we have no ends and when Big Hamble drown again. Can he still feel the butterflies? Can he still hear the last? Good night? Like there are differences, and I I don't like the way he's singing this live version here. Uh, I'm not as into that, but and like it's it's missing some from the studio version, but a lot of what what makes it work is working really well with just a simple five piece band.
1: Well, that's because the bass part, the bass line, is the most important part of this entire song,
0: and the way that it interacts with the drums. Yep.
1: Yeah, the the way that it interacts with the the kick and the 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 bass like that bass part. Well, you know, bass is what holds all songs together, you know. It's always the the overlooked thing and the people the underappreciated. that people just don't realize that that bass line is what is so often the thing that you love the most about that
0: yeah. pop song. A wise producer builds his builds his song upon the bass, you know.
1: Yeah. And this is the, the epitome of that. That not only just the, obviously the line that it's taking, the way that it interplays with both the vocal and the guitar, you know, but rhythmically it just it's yeah. it is the through line. It is what it's the connective tissue of everything in this song. And also, I know we were talking earlier about like patterns that are especially so prevalent in rock music, but especially emo was so much about. Like you find these kind of cool patterns and you know, polyrhythms and things like yes. that. This is the epitome of that, of like you set this rhythm, you build everything off of it, and that becomes the thing that just continues to move the song forward. I mean, it's just it's it's absolutely like a masterclass in that for this song. And it just it again, it's what people have since then and, and will always, I think, try to get to if they're yeah. trying to create this type of emo song.
0: Yeah, well said about the the interplay of the drums and bass and, and those polyrhythms. They did, whether or not they needed to, they did try out a lot of other stuff, though, <laughs> and particularly on this track, a lot of layers. I found uh, a good quote from Jim from this like clarity track by track. I guess it's like a blog post is what we would call it now, but it was like a, a dedicated web page where they talked a little bit about each song. And here's Jim's quote. We rented just about every percussion instrument and toy we could get. We had vibraphone, bells, tubular bells, temple blocks, cowbells, whatever. Yes, multiple cowbells with different pitches in case the first few weren't exactly quenching the fever. They were wheeling in timpani when we realized we had taken it a little too far. (laughs) It was fun having all that stuff lying around. You would just be walking by and have to start messing around with something. Um, for me, this is heaven has a lot of cool rhythmic parts going on that came from Zach and Mark Trombino tweaking around with the trays of hand percussion instruments. I could be wrong, but this may be the only Jimmy Eat World song with triangle end quote.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. There's not a lot of triangle to be found in most emo or rock from this time or any time, but yeah, it's it's that's a it's cool to hear about the process there too.
0: On the album version, the moment around two and a half minutes in, where they bring in the "La La Laws," mm. I think is the moment for me autobiographically where my love of the Beach Boys and my love of emo could finally consummate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, w- within within my mind, let's hear that part. Perfect. This is a perfect song, man.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then um like the the big payoff at the at the end, like going to that last, you know, they're they're again they're not they weren't afraid to layer, but what's amazing about the entire thing is that again, the consistency of Rick's bass part with Zach's just laying down such a solid groove that also like it pulls back, but it you know, it moves forward when it needs to and straightens out. as well at certain points like it just there's so much amazing interplay and it's not again these are not easy things to do this is no and and i think that one thing that has to be said about this band and it's incredible you know obviously that they're they made it this long it's the only it's the type of things that only really happen when you can be a band for the long term Hmm. you know like when you think about like foo fighters records or you think about like going way back going like to like zeppelin records and stuff like that and the magic that that happened over the years and as you see the progression there uh, like that only happens because it's the same lineup these are people that are playing you know hundreds you know, thousands of hours together both in the studio in practice room and on the road and writing together and It's the only way that you get to something like this is like, it's really hard to do this if you're not, if it's not like forged, you know, in the flame of playing all that time together. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. happen any other way. I love that there are like we were talking about before we got on on recording about idols because I'm wearing an idol shirt right now and turnstile and bands like that. I think part of the reason that there's that people are gravitating towards them now, but while they're like hitting the stride is because these are bands that have been together for years. Yeah. You know, and it came up playing in front of ten people in a in a, you know, VFW hall or a basement or, you know, somebody's backyard or whatever it is. Like you can't you can't take away from that.
0: I think about Wilco too. Like and you there you, you go, can man. tell when you're seeing them live just how long they have been a unit. And it's it's really it shows,
1: right? It's the biggest thing that you can't you can't fake, but you also can't really equate for it in a, a tangible way until you put everybody on stage together in a studio and they do something like this. It just let's hear it in
0: its full glory before we move on. Yeah. I understand that there's variability. It's entirely socially constructed. What kind of music we find alluring. But if you are a white person and you don't love that, I don't understand. <laughs> like if you're like Latin or, okay, I get it. Like, it's not what you're into. Like I, But if you share my rough, roughly speaking, my culture and that doesn't move you, then then I don't, then we don't speak the same musical language,
1: I guess is what I'm saying it's a funny idea for sure it's it's uh again it's the thing that is so tough to pull off what they did and they did it you know kind of you know over over the you know the amount of time it's been that it took to make this record like they just kept on nailing these moments and that's one of these key ones where you're just like it's so incredibly hard to do but just so awesome to experience here and It's funny, too, because it's one of those songs where I feel like everybody from this time period that was listening to music then, like, everybody has some sort of, like, moment or it's kind of a universal song. Yeah. This is just the song that people go back to because can you still feel the butterflies? Can you still feel the the last good night? Like, that is a moment that everybody, (laughs) you know, there was... Back during this time watching the (laughs) O.C., you know. Uh,
0: Or just living a teenage life or a 20-something life. I mean, or any human life. I guess what I'm trying to say is that for me, for me, this is heaven is heaven, Clay. Yeah,
1: there you go. (laughs) All
0: right, we got to move on. I could linger on this track forever. Next up is Blister. The one song on Clarity with Tom on lead vocals would definitely fit. On static prevails for sure. Here's Blister.
1: In the fire, mind's made up. Never back here. And how long would it take me to walk
0: across the United States all alone? It's a
1: strong chorus. It's a very strong chorus It really is
0: I would be so pumped to have written that song And I want to say It's got an even better bridge When everything comes in here Oh man This really like It's not a. When everything kicks in here This is not a lesser clarity track Like this is Them doing their kind of emotional layering Thing so well Yep What you
1: gonna do?
0: It hits hard driving my 94 Ford Explorer around Saratoga, California, cranking that shit.
1: Oh yeah, dude. Uh, And, and, you know, um, when the world caves in, what you're going to do, like, you know, like that's a, that's a sentiment that you could feel whether you're 16 or you're 56, like it's a, it's it's something that's going to hit hard, but yeah. Since I didn't know Jimmy world, you know, this was my discovery of them, like going back and hearing static prevails. It was interesting to hear more of Tom, but also it set that, Um, kind of precedent of like every record, there's always like the Tom song. And it's generally the one that's a little bit more like core emo. Like when you think of like the early emo days, it's a little bit more rocking. It's a little more driving, but it's, it's always great. And the song too, it's this one does when I, you know, talking about the five, five, three of like the breakdown, it's again, it's like, it, it launches you into the, this last part out of, The perfection that is for me, this is heaven. It's this next, like, kind of more rocking. It kind of shakes you out of that, like, thing back in. You're going, you know, into the end.
0: I wonder if it's like a comic, you know, going after Chris Rock or something where it's like, it might suffer a little bit from being right after for me, this is heaven. Yeah. Right. And every Jimmy Eat World song, usually the end is sort of the highest point of it. So it's not like you had a come down. You know, you just like you just basically I don't want to use a sex metaphor because it seems vulgar, but I can't think of any other type of metaphor. It's it is the peak. <laughs> and and then like, yeah. OK, here's like a cool rock song that Tom's singing it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of getting set up for failure, but the fact that it doesn't fail is a testament to what a strong song it is. And it was actually the second single that the label chose, I think probably because yeah. it's kind of straightforward rock. You can imagine it being played on the radio. I don't think it really got any airplay, though.
1: No. and it, Well, and you think about the time, too, of when this would have come out. It made a lot of sense with everything else that was happening at that time that was kind of – which is really, it wasn't an interesting time where a band like Jenny World could get played on MTV. Obviously, it didn't really happen on this record. It was kind of after, yeah. but you know, it's like the. But K Rock is the one who picked it up first, you know, which is. Yeah. Exactly. And, and well, and that's when, when terrestrial rock radio still had the ability to like break stuff in, in real ways oh, yeah. like this. And, you know, I, I remember growing up too, it's like we lived we were in Northern LA County. So we were just outside of the sphere of, you know, the, the radio signal for K rock didn't get to us. So we had like a local one uh, up there, but I remember the exact point on the 14 freeway going down to LA where, yeah, where, where you know, you, where K rock would come in and, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if I'm in the, the car, of my parents, or especially if it was like friends would be like, the, you just, uh, either be bugging them or the, you just knew that moment where you're getting right to the bottom of the hill, you're about to go back up. And it's like K-Rock, we click in, and you can just turn that on, and you're just listening to whatever they had.
0: I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so cool, dude. Yeah, we had Live 105, which was took a lot of cues from K-Rock up in the, in the Bay Area. Yep. But not quite as experimental. You know, they weren't breaking kind of more indie rock bands uh, up in the Bay. But we would get the stuff that caught on you know that that K-rock yep. did pretty well. Well, let's go to track 12, Clarity. Yeah. Title track. Listeners, place yourselves in 1999, 2000, 98, whatever, and you get to track 12 of a CD and there hasn't been a bad song yet. And it's like, it's another good song. Even the right field of the album order, the second to last track. right? That's where you place the ones you're not totally sure about, but you don't want to cut them from the record. You don't put them last, because last is a statement. And so this spot where you expect, okay, surely there's going to be some fluff on this album, because not everything on Static Prevails was strong. Definitely have your weaker songs. Nope. We're at 12 out of 13, and it's just another banger.
1: Yeah. Whereas for me, This Is Heaven is this like high-water mark of emo, where it it was at that moment, but then beyond like, it, 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 I feel like "Blister" and clarity, especially represent the before, like the, like you bring in that, like loud, quiet, loud of like the pixies and things like that, where, and it is a bold move to put stuff that really kind of rocks this hard at the end of a record like this, even for any, any rock band, usually like you said, especially at the time, the end of the record was usually reserved for songs that I think might have been like a little bit more challenging, you know, like before that, like final statement at the end of the song, but, you know, usually it was like pretty heavy, like one through seven was like, you got to get singles in there. You've got to like, you know, it's all of that thought, you know, like you contrast this, I, I think a good corollary here of clarity another great record from the nineties third eye blind. But that's the perfect thing too, of like in a different way where, it's so front loaded, and then you get to the end, and those last three songs are incredible. The, the in between's a little bit, a little yeah. bit right tougher to get through. This, I think, is way more consistent all the way through. But even with that record, you know, they the, the back end of it is loaded more with like it's deeper, it's emotional, obviously, besides like motorcycle drive by. But here to go, like 11, 12, like rock song, rock song. That's a, that's a, that's a bold move. That's a very, very bold move to do.
0: Yeah. I think you're totally right about that where they're, they're backloading some of that rock energy and front loading a lot of the more delicate stuff. I mean, especially as we've talked about opening with table for glasses, no kick drum for Mm -hmm. almost the first three minutes of a rock album. Um, But a drummer is playing like, it's not just an acoustic track. It's like, no, we are just, we are pegging restraint here And we're playing the long game. Well, speaking of the long game, we've reached the final track of the album Goodbye, Sky Harbor. Wow. if we took out the first two fifteen of this song, which is really its own sort of straightforward Jimmy Eat World song. Mm -hmm. If that, if it was just that part, where would it be in terms of your rankings of the album? Like out of 13 tracks, where would it slot in? I think for me, five ish, fifth or sixth best song, something like that.
1: It's kind of, it's in the middle there. I mean, it is, uh, it's again it's textbook with what they do of the interplay of like rick and zach with you know laying down this incredible rhythmic foundation rick kind of offering that connective tissue all the way through to let you know jim and tom be on top of that with like these more chimey guitar parts yeah like this like the groove is like it's heavy for sure, but the,
0: especially the verse. Oh, so yeah. That groove. Yeah. I mean, the chorus is one of those, like kind of a song like a Sunday or, you know, crush where it's like the chorus is not really better than the verse. You know, it sounds like a chorus, but it's not improving upon the verse in a way that lucky Denver meant, you know, for me, this is heaven, etc. Those choruses really are the catchiest part of the song. You know, this is not quite that, but the verse groove is so good that I think it does land in that sixth or so best track on the record. But then, of course, we get another, uh, what is it, 14 minutes. Um, A 14-minute outro. Here is a a single-question personality quiz that may or may not say a lot about a person. I'll ask it to you, and I'll answer it as well. What percentage of the times... That you listen to this song, do you let the whole sixteen minutes play? What percentage of your listens do you get all the way through?
1: Ninety-five.
0: I am. I'm a. I'm a one percenter. I'm in the one percenter club. I never make it all the way through.
1: Really? Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, I won't start the song most of the time unless I know I can okay. go all the way through. Sure. Again, it's. It, it, I think it's. Uh, but it starts from the beginning. It's like when I'm listening to this record, it's not one like almost any other band. I will put on a record and maybe skip through here and there and whatever. But this one, it's just like, if I'm going to listen to clarity, I'm listening to clarity and it's all the way through. And it's from you know, the opening of table for glasses to the end of goodbye, stars sky Harbor wow. like, with everything that happens. Like I just, it's, it's one of those things. I, you know, I don't, listen to it nearly as much anymore but it, it is one of those records like when there's big moments um you know and not to get too like you know kind of dour here but like uh, april of 2020 uh a good one of my best friends he passed away and mm. his name was joel hatcher it was like my big brother yeah. and you know we had spent a lot of time he was also a massive jimmy world fan especially clarity we spent countless nights talking about drum tones and yeah all yeah you know, this record over and over and um I got to see him in February twenty twenty right before the world shut down and got to the that was the the last time I saw him. Um and when I left uh the when I left him um for the you know after saying goodbye I, I put this record on and I drove around the desert in Lancaster.
0: Oh clay.
1: And the thing is is like this record it holds like those very sad and very intense emotions, but also like yeah the the joy of getting to share this with somebody and so many other friends too, mm. and that's why it's like something that i I just can't kind of like I take it so seriously. I just can't kind of like pick it up and kind of jump in here that and there sense. because it's yeah, it's representative of so many moments and i think that that's ultimately too which is so incredible about music and why like my life has been kind of built around it is that there's i can't think of other mediums at least to me that hit in the same way like i can get moved by a painting or a movie or a piece of art but like in in that way but the or a book but i feel like with music specifically because especially like you can play it in your car or your house or on the plane or wherever you're, you're at, like it can trigger all these different moments and memories and things and, and pull it together into what is the tapestry of all of our own individual lives. And so when I think about this and especially like goodbye sky Harbor, where I want to listen to it in the the totality is that it does hold moments like that. We shared so much about this record and what it had meant to both of us and our, our friends and, and, you know, the, the musical journey that we had both gone on. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's,
0: yeah, uh, it yeah. makes sense. And and it would make sense that that would kind of keep it as a, a piece you wouldn't want to break up. Yeah. You know, I, I'm at a phase in my life, I think with having an almost three year old where I'm, I'm much more of a raw nerve uh, sort of emotionally with the media that I, Interact with, and so sometimes mm. if songs with those sort of associations come up for me now, like I, I am usually not in the mood. Like p- some people describe parenthood as like your heart walking around in someone else's body, you know, and like <laughs> the sort That's of a- I, it's a it's a very apt description I think for my experience anyway. And and I just feel like oh my gosh, like I I can only take so many sort of like heart renderings or heart rendings. Mm. Rather, you know, yep. through films, music, whatever. Yeah. I mean, so that's like, then if if I had your experience, I would really be careful about starting, especially this song, uh, and knowing yeah. that I'm in for a 16-minute ride that I associate with the passing of a dear friend.
1: It's one of those things, too, where it's, it's the passing, but it's also the celebration of all of yeah. those things that yeah. um, are the the best parts of it are the memories and the moments that we got to share together and spending how much time talking about, you know, snare drum tones and, you know, interplay of, um, you know, melodies and, you know, the guitar, uh, choices, you know, just all of that stuff like that shaped my life and career and what I get to do now and have gotten to do. It's just like, it, it's, um, it just, you know, obviously like with age and perspective and time, it's like, it's not just as uh, like a flipping thing to be thrown on because it does yeah. harness and hold so many, so many emotions and memories. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be able to have that.
0: Yeah. Well, it makes this little bit I had planned seem a little frivolous, but maybe it'll be kind of a welcome little bit of levity. So, I'm asking Yeah Does this section Of Goodbye Sky Harbor (music) Prove as inspiration For Where Sufjan Stevens' career Would eventually go Like on Impossible Soul Hmm mean there's
1: some shared dna there oh for sure man you know it's funny when i hear the end of this song too like uh there was um on dismas's second record we had a song where we tried to do the same type of outro yeah you know and i i think more than anything i think there's a there was we're just one of many that tried to do this but what i what i loved is that it gave permission in a lot of ways to a lot of bands and artists that we're trying yep. to discover or, or wanted to really lean into something that wasn't just like three and a half minutes, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, be like, yeah, well, I guess we can experiment. Like, it's okay that we want to try to do something and we want to layer and we want to kind of dive into that. And it's the stuff that you had heard for years with like the Beach Boys and what they had done or like Phil Spector mm-hmm. and the Wall of Sound and all of those things that you didn't really understand it. you like uh, for me, it was like kind of diving in like post high school and like really kind of understanding what was going on there. This was the first time where I was like, Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Oh, I see this. Yeah. I, I, I we can, we can do this. This is okay. And it's okay to fit this all into a 16 yeah. a minute song. Even though it um, usually
0: doesn't work. Like again, I'm thinking of another yeah. track on a different light. <laughs> the best in me where I was influenced by this song and by like Justin Timberlake's most recent record with Timbaland. Nice. Uh, And so we do this like minute and a half kind of softer outro that I'm like, okay, it sort of works. We did, you know, it's like a a bunch of, a bunch of B minuses get thrown out there too, of which I was responsible for
1: one of those. I've seen Jimmy several times now, but, oh, I can't remember what year it was, but they were playing here in Nashville and um, they ended the set with Goodbye Sky Harbor, but they did, they do a live version where they actually—I don't know if you've ever seen this—but they, you know, they start out of the song. They kind of dip it, you know, dip into. They
0: do a little bit of the long part,
1: yeah. Yeah, but then they they take it back up to and they rock it out. At the and they end. rock it and out. Yeah,
0: it, it's like they do it like in like five minutes instead of sixteen minutes, but it's really effective. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them do it a couple times.
1: Man, and it so, it's so—it's so rad. It's just so rad to, to that they can kind of reshape this song like that in a live setting. It was, it was such an interesting thing to hear, especially at the time. Like you just think about this, like put myself back in like 16 year old shoes, like a 16 minute song. Like I'm going to be sitting here for that. Yeah. And so, yeah. You don't lose interest though. It's like compelling the whole time.
0: Yeah. See, that was never my experience. And I think that's why I call it a personality test. <laughs> like I have a little too antsy for that, you know, and I did get through it sometimes and I would usually go, you know, I would do a few minutes of the kind of main riff cause it's really compelling. It's, it's, it's again, it's kind of math rocky. It's that Midwestern emo kind of influence, mm-hmm. but I, I can't like, I don't have the patience and attention span usually for something like that. And I'm looking here at the live version, the clarity thing, it looks like they do, let, let's play a little bit of this, but I think it's the live version, it's eight minutes long, it's the kind of one that you and I are talking about, they might have expanded yeah. a little bit for this, but let's see what where they get to by the end. Yeah, it looks like they did something a little different, trying to more approximate the album, which makes sense
1: for yeah. that live stream. Yeah, totally. As opposed to kind of like that big, just like yeah, the very. Rock version. That I feel like that one is like very you emo. Know? Yeah, like the that that end version of that live, like where it's just like that big big yeah. hit, you know, like.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna later. I'm gonna have to pull up a, a YouTube clip of that now to when we're done here for my own experience. So. Yeah. Let's go all the way back. We we got through every track cool. that CD text. Can you still feel the butterflies? 64 minutes and 6 seconds. You know, as we went through track by track and kind of analyzed each like did anything stand out to you about the piece as a whole as one unified work? Like obviously, you know, you've told the story now of you know, your own experiences with that record and especially saying goodbye to your friend and listening to it straight through. So, so it has that sort of autobiographical listen straight through thing, yeah. but sort of from a, from a musical composition arrangement, uh, ordering thing, did anything pop out like on recent listens or as we talked today?
1: I think what stands out the most is just the way that this record stands up against time Ooh. and also yeah. how it is, It still feels very fresh and timely, even twenty three years later. And yeah, and it's just it's it's a pretty incredible feat to make like a real, true, like you said, album. Like we all, like both of us, sitting here having made records and trying to do that. Like the degree of difficulty is incredibly high. I don't think people really understand that, and especially at this time when you think about the record coming out of it was so much about you needed a, you needed a radio single, you needed everything in that machine functioning to help blow you up. And they didn't really have that on this, you know, obviously they would, they would break through on the next record and all that, but it's pretty incredible when you think about the fact that it was just made as this, incredible piece of art then and it still resonates now that ha- hasn't it hasn't stopped at all but it's yeah, what i love too is just that the way it's been appreciated and that you can see the through lines through so many of these songs and just the overall approach of what they did and how that uh continues to kind of permeate into music now it's still 23 24 years later and what's getting created now
0: i love that I have three little things that I jotted down as we were going. First, the soft-loud dynamic, which we talked about, um, is still here. It was, But it was much more prominent on Static Prevails. And on Clarity, we're going to keep that. But we're also experimenting with everything in between. Yeah. And like longer and slower crescendos. For sure. So that's really pretty unified across the record. That sort of keeps popping up. Another one is just that repetitive use of those eighth and sixteenth note like percussive but melodic pattern beds you know these these yep. layers that's really consistent throughout the record and then lastly if layering is in fact sort of the tool that they are using with the most power behind it then the lyrics can you still feel the butterflies occur at basically the the layered height, the moment of greatest sort of sonic bed resonance on the record, so that if that's mm-hmm. kind of what they're trying to say, then that would be one way of indicating that you know i'm not I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> it might just be a cool yeah. lyric that kind of they thought summed things up or whatever, but that moment is you could maybe argue there's a moment in table for glasses or something, but like pretty much that's the especially including all the vocals and everything. Yeah. That's, that is really the most emotionally resonant layered moment for me as a listener. Yeah. And certainly one of the sort of objectively most of the record sort of most layered. So those are, that's what I came up with.
1: Yeah. I love it. Well, and it just, what's great too, is it just shows again, the power of music and that we all are going to draw our own conclusions and we can all be looking at the same exact thing as art and it can hit us all in very, very different ways because we're seeing, you know, the world through our own two, two eyes yet. It becomes this incredibly unifying force because we can all rally around the sentiment. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, wh- wh- however we're taking it in, but we can all say, that's awesome. And I want to be a part of that. And we can yeah. all do this together. You know, this yeah. it's just, it's a great thing.
0: Clay. So thanks so much for joining me for, for going deep. In more ways than one, uh, what a what an incredible album to uh, to analyze, to both analyze and celebrate, as the tagline of this podcast proclaims. We did both.
1: We did, man, and thanks for having me. It's fun to uh, to get to dive in, take a deep dive on something like this, and just talk about it and celebrate it. And good luck with uh, with the rest of the uh, the big three, jimmies as we were talking about. It's going to be released. <laughs> I'm going to be really, I mean, be really excited you. to see. Uh, see what else you guys talk about and how this develops
0: yeah thanks man
1: for sure